stories like that describe a way of life that's normal in the kingdom of heaven. If you sense that this kind of person is just too good for this world, well, God thinks so too. And that's why he has prepared a place for his son, the only one deserving of it. And all those who are in his son, who are made more and more like Christ, exhibit this kind of life. And we get glimpses of it, small glimpses of it. But it reminds us that one day we're going to experience a lifestyle where our citizenship belongs, where stories like this is common because this is what it means to live and love, not in the way of the flesh, but in the way of the Spirit. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. You know, we're going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I began the series by saying that I was going to kick my introductory lesson to the end. There's always a downside to that. My introductory sermon, which is going to come in a couple of weeks, to the series is that this is all about who the Spirit of God is, and therefore, if anything good in our life happens, it's a sign that God's at work in us. And how I didn't want is for it to turn into a series where you might hear me saying, you're not loving, joyful, or peaceful, or patient enough. Here's three ways you can work harder to be more joyful, level, peaceful, and patient, and then you'll really be something in the sight of God. So if that's what you're hearing, that's not what I'm trying to say. I find myself falling into that trap without meaning to because the introduction is in my head, but not always in my notes. So I want to just remind you again, the chapter in Galatians 5, it spends one verse mentioning the fruit of the Spirit. So clearly that isn't the central point of Galatians 5. The point of Galatians 5 is that there's two worlds in collision. There's the world of the flesh, and we know what that looks like. Paul gives all these examples and says, here's what happens when people do what people do. And then there's the world of the Spirit. It's a whole different way of thinking, living, and doing. And you want to know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God? You want to see what it looks like to understand the Spirit at work? It looks like this. It's really meant to take our vision away from ourselves, our hard work, our sense of doing, our comparison game with others, and meant to turn the light on God. At the same time, Galatians 5 and 6 is also the end of a book where in two chapters, Paul says over and over again to the Galatians, now I expect something different about you. If you remember, Paul actually warns the Galatians. He warns them and says, I said this once, I'm going to say it again. Whoever lives this way and describes the way of the flesh won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it seems to me you don't warn somebody twice about something that can never apply to them. So clearly there's something in Galatians about since we are called to love the way God is, it ought to be seen in the way we live. And so if you remember the next verse after the fruit of the Spirit, it says, therefore, since this is the way of the Spirit, let's walk in step with the Spirit. So there's kind of a balancing act going on here. 
because God has called you holy, because he is good and righteous, because there is so much in this world that's anti-God, when you see bad stuff in the world, you know, well, that's what life looks like when we're left to our own devices. And when there's something good in the world, it reminds us that God is good. A friend of mine reminded me that sometimes we're very quick to confess our mistakes. We confess that we're sinful people. We confess our mistakes, our sins. But here's the thing. What about those moments when we actually do something good? Do we confess that too? Because guess what? When there's something good that goes on in the world, or even something good that goes on in your life, it's a sign that God is real and is at work in the world. So let's confess the good things that happen too. So this is not meant to be a list of here's what you're not, what you should be. Here's a list of who God is. And because it's who God is, we see it all the time, either in when we do the right thing, or if it's not when we do the right thing, it's when we want to do the right thing. And even in moments when we don't want to do the right thing, we want to want to do the right thing. And that is a sign that we're not of the flesh. We're of the spirit. So tonight I want to deal with three different words in our list, but that really shouldn't matter. Because remember, this is not fruits, plural, of the Spirit. This is one fruit of the Spirit. The, the Spirit produces a certain kind of person, a certain type of character. And that person, that character that the Spirit produces is full of these virtues. It really is the case that if you think you're loving but you're not patient or kind, then you're not really understanding what it means to love like the Spirit. And if you are peaceful, but not joyful, it's really not the kind of peace that we're called to understand because the peace of God is also joyful. There is no lasting peace without a deep abiding joy. So Paul is saying here, here is who the Spirit is, and here's a person full of the Spirit and how they operate. This kind of living, this is what the Spirit produces. And when we see it, we ought to give glory to God for it. So combining three shouldn't be a problem. And let's look at three. It's what our, most of your Bibles are going to call kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Kindness refers to this kind of attitude that leads to practical acts of compassion toward other people. It flows out of a heart that is deeply secure. It allows the other person, it allows the person doing this to be vulnerable in the presence of others. Now, the opposite of kindness is envy. Envy. You know, envy is one of those seven deadly sins, and it's, it's probably the worst because there's absolutely nothing good about it. You ever notice that sometimes there are bad things that they're only, they're bad when they're taken to the excess. They're okay in normal circumstances, but bad when they're excessive. Envy has nothing good in it at all. Uh, one great definition of envy is feeling bitter when others feel better. I like that title. Envy dries up the heart. And it keeps it from displaying genuine kindness. It's where you simply can't join in the celebration for your colleague at the news of their recent promotion. After all, you deserve the promotion. 
what does skipping over you say about how they think about you? And that's all you can think about. It doesn't keep it from displaying disingenuous kindness. There's a counterfeit or deceptive kindness. And that's when you do things for others out of a deeply selfish motive. That's when you try to get what you want from others, maybe even manipulating things so that they'll think you're pretty great or because it makes you feel good for others to think that you're good. It's to feel better about yourself. It's doing good things for others because, boy, this makes me look good. But the kindness the Spirit produces, the kindness that flows naturally from a person that that has accepted the grace of Christ and lets his love overwhelm you, that person is free from insecurity, free from ambition, free from manipulation. It's just doing good things for others because it's good to do good and because people need help. It's, it's doing good because it's second nature to do good. The wisdom that comes from above, according to James, is first of all pure and then peaceable. It's a kindness that comes from a pure heart. The second word that I want us to look at comes right after that. And in most of our Bibles, it's translated goodness. Now, the New Revised Standard calls it generosity. That's a good option if you think of generosity in the fullest sense of the word. It's far more than money. The uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase called the message puts it this way. It's a conviction that a basic holiness permeates all things and all people. Another definition, it's magnanimity of spirit. Do you know people who just seem to walk ah, just a bit above the ground? They just seem to have a pleasant demeanor, a way of seeing the world that just makes it impossible for them to hate or lash out or guard their territory. The kind of people that just don't seem to belong to this world. We look at them and we say, boy, that is a genuinely good person. They see good in others, and they simply can't see anything less than that. They hear Christ even in the sharpest criticism, and they smile when they face enormous difficulties. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to be breathing, and I'm honored to have work to do that can help me learn to be a better person and to serve Jesus in this world. It's the kind of person who would literally give you the shirt off their back and never think twice about it. I bet there's some names of some people that are coming to your mind. This is what we're talking about. Now, some writers see a second meaning in this word, something like integrity. A good person who is honest, transparent, sincere. Have you ever heard someone describe a certain celebrity, and they they say this because it's so rare. They'll talk about a celebrity and they'll say, you know, That person is the same person when he's on stage as he is in real life. Almost like, you know, I know you won't believe this, but it's true. It seems so rare that it stands out. It's the idea that there's nothing phony about this person. They aren't a hypocrite. They really do practice what they preach, and they live out the gospel in attractive and beautiful ways. Jesus said about the Pharisees, do what they say, but don't do what they do which is interesting. They understand the rules, but they just don't seem to look much like the one who gave them to us. 
It's possible to know a lot of Bible and to have a lot of right answers, but to come across as an ogre or a mean-spirited belittler of those who haven't come to as much knowledge as you and I have. It's speaking the truth without love. It's possible to use people as sounding boards or punching bags where you just have to, you know, get it off your chest. I just, I just have to tell you what's bothering me, and you're just going to have to bear the brunt of it. Okay, now I feel better. Let me peel you off the floor, right? These are not good. But the goodness Paul talks about here is a goodness that's seen in action without pretense, where there's nothing hypocritical, nothing phony, nothing self-centered, and nothing about using others. Just genuine goodness, sincere, honest, full of integrity, with an eye towards what's good in other people. Okay, the last word I want to look at is the first word in verse 23. And that word is translated either gentleness or meekness. This is genuine humility that can best be described as self-forgetfulness. This is a person who's free from the twin demons of superiority and inferiority. My guess is almost all of us will say we tend towards one of these. And sometimes it depends on the time of day. Um, superiority is when you're so self-absorbed that you see everything through the lens of how others are there to serve your interests. Because let's just face it, in this case, you're better than they are. Or so we won't say it, but we'll think it. Inferiority is the sense that others are just so much better than you that you have to put on airs and pretend to try to measure up. You have a sense you need to fight and scrape and always assume that others are out to get you. And so you see that you can see how these three words that Paul talks about are related. The antidote to this kind of stuff is kindness, goodness, and gentleness. It's not needing to force your way in this world. I love that line. The superior person forces their way in life because, well, they're right. And you would do well to do things my way. The inferior person senses a deep need to force their way in life so they can finally feel good about themselves. But the humble, meek, gentle person formed in the image of Christ, operating out of the spirit of God, doesn't see himself as superior or inferior. He's a servant of Christ, and that means he's heir to all things, but so is everybody else in Christ. And those who are not in Christ, they're called to be heirs as well, if and when they come to see Christ the way we have been found in Christ. So the spirit-filled, spirit-led person adopts an attitude of humility and meekness, not because they think less of themselves— this is a great line from C.S. Lewis. Not because they think less of themselves, but because they think of themselves less. Isn't that a good line? They have their minds on things above and on how to show and share and serve Christ. They're aware they have nothing to offer themselves, but they have everything to offer in Christ. 
They're aware that they too are saved by grace through faith, having a righteousness that is not my own, but rejoicing that that salvation is real and secure and makes us important in the eyes of God. Do you ever struggle with insecurity or feelings of inferiority? Do you ever struggle with too much confidence in your own strength and ability or feelings of superiority? Do you feel the need to cover your tracks or pretend or manipulate the system to get your way in life? Do you ever find yourself envious of others or willing to do good only because of what you can get out of it? If you do, welcome to the human condition. It's quite natural. And acknowledging and admitting that we struggle with that is part of what it means to be human and to recognize why we needed salvation in the first place. But can I also point out that when we have those moments in life, when we recognize that and we sense there's something about that that isn't good, that is proof positive that something other than the way of the flesh is present in the world. And that we have been called by God to be different. And we get glimpses of that. Sometimes when we look in the mirror, but even when we can't see it in ourselves, we see it in others. I came across a, 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 it was something like a, um, an article a few years ago that had three stories from the Olympics. And they were so great. They reminded me of this. So I'm going to steal all of these. Uh, the first one comes from the 1992 Olympics. It's the story of Henry Pierce of Australia. He was competing in the single skull rowing event at the 1928 Olympics. He was leading when a duck and her string of ducklings came into view up ahead. They were on a collision course, and Pierce reckoned that his skull would cut the string in two and sink a few ducklings in the process, so he pulled in his oars. When the ducks passed... Pierce went right back to his task. And there's a pretty good ending to this story, believe it or not. He won. Usually, it doesn't end that way. A couple years back, in the marathon tandem kayak racing event at the World Championships in Copenhagen, Danish paddlers were leading when their rudder was damaged in a portage. British paddlers, who were in second place, stopped to help the Danes fix what was broken. And the Danes went on to defeat the British by one second in an event that lasted nearly three hours. There's a happy ending to that one too. According to the Wall Street Journal, the British kayakers won what many people regard as the highest honor in sports. They won the Pierre de Coubertin International Fair Play Trophy. The last story I'll share with you. Well, a couple of other things about this trophy. This trophy is big news in Europe. It's given to people like the Hungarian tennis player who pleaded with the officials to give his opponent more time to recover from a cramp. It's given to the high school basketball coach who forfeited the Georgia United States State Championship after he found out that one of his players was scholastically ineligible and nobody had noticed. But he did. And he told them. 
The first trophy went to an Italian bobsledder named Eugenio Monti for a gesture that exhibited great class. In the two-man bobsled event at the 1964 Innsbruck Olympics, Monty was the leader after his final run. The only one given a chance to beat him was Tony Nash of Great Britain. As Nash and his teammate got ready for their final run, they discovered that a critical bolt on their sled had slipped at the last moment and was gone. Monty found out about the problem. And he reached into his own bobsled and pulled out the bolt from his bobsled and gave it to the opponents who went down the course and set a world record and won the gold medal. You know, you hear stories like this and all those stories, you know, came from this uh, article I was telling you about. You hear stories like this and you say, this is not the way most people live most of the time. But I want to tell you something. Stories like that describe a way of life that's normal in the kingdom of heaven. If you sense that this kind of person is just too good for this world, well, God thinks so too. And that's why he has prepared a place for his son, the only one deserving of it. And all those who are in his son who are made more and more like Christ, exhibit this kind of life. And we get glimpses of it, small glimpses of it. But it reminds us that one day we're going to experience a lifestyle where our citizenship belongs, where stories like this is common, because this is what it means to live and love, not in the way of the flesh, but in the way of the spirit. When we have moments when this world just doesn't feel like home. It should remind us that that's because this is not our home. We serve a risen Savior who uses us, molds us, and changes us. And when we see this kind of life in others, we ought to take note and say, clearly, you have been with Jesus, and one day we all will be. I hope tonight this has been encouraging to you. There is a sense in which we're called to shape up to be more like the calling we see in Christ. But I find the best motivation for that is to recognize that there are moments in our life when we recognize and see that we're already on that journey. Seeing it, recognizing it, appreciating it is the best motivation to continue the good fight of faith. I see it in you. I see it every day. I see it in stories you know about and stories you don't know about. You know, I'll just name two. You know, Tony Forcier makes sure this building is clean every single day. And we walk into rooms and we enjoy the work he's done and don't even realize that it looks the way it does because of what he did. You know, I just found out this morning, you already knew this, but I didn't know this. You know that Fred and Carolyn Duncan have been dealing with lots of setbacks and difficulties. Did you know that when we take the Lord's Supper on Sunday mornings, Carolyn puts those together? With all the difficulties in her back, she sits there or stands there if the chair isn't ready for a couple of hours to get the communion ready for us and doesn't talk about it very much. But I know about it because I found out about it secondhand. And what I see is work being done for the kingdom of God. Stories like this remind us that God's at work in ways and through people who serve, sometimes in ways we don't even know about. God is alive and well, and when we see it, take note of it and remember The way of the flesh, the way of the world is not the only way in this world. 
the way of the Spirit is alive and well, and one day we'll see it in its full glory. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguy.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.